can you believe Christmas is only one week away? It's going to be exciting time. It's always one of my favorite times of the year. It's a time where there's a lot of homecomings, there's a lot of celebrations, there's a lot of parties, a lot of good food, and always a lot of gifts. And it's a great time to celebrate. And especially for Christians, it's a celebration of Jesus' birth. Now, for those of you who have um, small children in your family, Christmas is an exciting time. It's been a long time since we had small children, but I remember those days. And it's an exciting time because on Christmas Day, there's a lot of presents to be opened. And the kids are so excited. They're so anxious. They can't wait to have their gifts opened. And as a parent, you know, when you're on Christmas Day, it's probably your day off and you want to sleep in. But when you have small children, they don't let you sleep in. They kind of bother you, nudge you, and want to get you up so that you can start the whole Christmas Day adventure of opening up gifts. And, and for some of us, especially dads, Christmas Day can be kind of a day that's not so relaxing. It's actually not uh, very peaceful. It can be actually stressful because there are certain Christmas gifts that just have a lot of trouble for dads. Now, I have a picture here. It's one of my memories of when I was <clears throat> a father of young children. And you get that gift that needs assembly on Christmas morning. You know, it's that kitchen set or that dollhouse or that fort or that little castle. And I was talking with some dads last week. We were in a foyer and we were just sharing our Christmas Day experiences. And a lot of us are now dads of much older children. But we remember when our kids were young, you would always have to assemble these things. And one dad said it was like, like an Ikea furniture where you have to assemble it. It has all those parts. And you're trying to read the instructions, which was written in a foreign country. And you're trying to figure out how to put this thing together. And there are sometimes the panic kind of strikes at the moment when you are missing a part. <laughs> and you can't assemble the, the, the toy that your, your children are anticipating. Or even worse, one dad was saying that you get that dowel that doesn't fit. And so <laughs> you have to bring out your tool set to start whittling it down or drill new holes so that you can build the, the, the toy. So, you know, those are the things that, that, that fathers have to go through on Christmas morning. But we do it because out of a father's love, as an act of service, we will do that for our children. And that's what we want to do this morning is to, to focus on the meaning of Christmas. And Advent, which is a season that we're in, is a time where Christians... Uh, reflect during this time and prepare our hearts for the, the coming of Jesus. And, and it's something that it's done all over the world and we are doing in the midst of our own church. And we're going through the Gospel of Matthew. And throughout the Gospel of Matthew, we see Jesus expressing his love for the Father and how the Father loves Jesus. And this, is a, this Sunday, being one of the Advent Sundays, I want us to reflect on a question that sounds simple, but might be very hard and very difficult for many of you to answer. And the question I want to pose to you is, do you, in, the, in your hearts, the deepest parts of your hearts, believe that God loves you? That's my question. Do you truly believe that God loves you? And how you answer that question will reveal whether or not 
you're going to be able to love others as God wants you to do. To be able to answer that question, does God truly love you, will reveal how you feel about loving others. 1 John 4.19 says this, We love because he first loved us, that he being God. We love because God loved us first. And this is a, seems to imply from the scripture from the apostle, uh, from John, that for us to love others, we have to first experience God's love for ourselves. Right? And if we don't have God's love, if we don't have something that we are supposed to experience, we can't give it to anybody else. We can't share it. To love means to have God's love, according to 1 John 4.19. And we all know that loving people is a complicated thing. It's complex. It's difficult. It's messy. It's oftentimes draining. And it's best when we're full of God's love to be able to love others. Not out of our shortage, but out of our abundance. And kind of a example I want to show here is that that when we are to love others it is best first to experience God's love for itself that it will fill us to the brim but it's not in our shortage that we must love others it's that through the overabundance the overflowing that we'll be able to love other people and that seems to be the, the, the intent of that scripture from 1 John is that we love because he first loved us. And it's out of that runneth over we will be able to love others. Throughout the Gospels, we will see how it is evident that Jesus truly loves the Heavenly Father. And how the Heavenly Father loves Jesus. And that's a message that I want us to, to embrace to understand, and if Jesus was to answer that question for himself, does God truly love me? Jesus would say with emphatic yes. So this morning, we're going to look at Matthew 3, verses 13 to 17. It was uh, read to you by Christine earlier. I'm going to read it again. So starting with verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. From Matthew 3, those verses that I just read, we can see two main things. And one of the first things we see here is that God loves Jesus. And God loves Jesus in five ways. And he expresses his love, what's known or can be thought of as the five love languages. The concept of the five love languages is something that uh, Dr. Gary Chapman uh, developed. It's real quick. The five are acts of service, quality time, receiving gifts, physical touch, and words of affirmation. And so this is a concept that many of you have heard. Uh, 
Dr. Chapman is a pastor, he's an author, he's also a marriage counselor. So he's well known for those, those five expressions of love. And I'm going to make a case that those five languages can be seen here at the baptism of Jesus. And so starting with the first one, acts of service. And I see this in verses 13 through 15. And acts of service, uh, an expression of that, when somebody feels like that's the way they can get loved, they like people doing favors for them. They like people to help them out in, doesn't seem to be necessarily big things, but it could be like the dirty dishes in the sink, and you go and wash them, or you uh, volunteer to wash the toilets. It's maybe going to run an errand for a friend. It's to babysit people's children. But all kinds of acts of service is an expression of love for people who, who like that language, and, and it's a way that they understand that action speaks louder than words. So that's one form of, of, of love. And I see this in verses 13 to 15, where John the Baptist actually does an act of service for Jesus. The scripture says there, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he, John, consented. Now, when we look at this scripture, it's often we kind of gloss over certain words there and actually even some geographical locations. It says that a Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, to John. So that means this is an intentional act that Jesus planned this. And do you know the distance from, from uh, Galilee to, to Jordan? If you're not familiar, it's about 70 miles. So Jesus didn't just say, oh, I'm just going to go and, and, and just walk over to John and, and it'll take me a few minutes. Actually, 70 miles is about a three to four day walk. And he's going to John to get baptized. And so it's, it takes, it's taking an effort for Jesus to do this. And for the Jewish people who are hearing this, this is also significant. Because Matthew is writing the gospel uh, of Matthew to Jewish, um, Jewish audience primarily. That when he says Galilee, Galilee to the Jewish people is like the boondocks. It's, it's way out there. As I said, 70 miles. Everything in the Jewish world is, is centric to Jerusalem. So if you're 70 miles away, you don't matter. And actually, that, uh, Galilee, and Jesus is known to be from Galilee, that's actually a derogatory term. Because Galilee is so far from Jerusalem that that is where the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, have settled. So there has been a lot of intermarriage. And, and so the Jewish people will say, Galilee, those is where, that's where all the half-breeds live. Those are where all the non-Jews live. And Jesus is, is known to be a, a Galilean. And so for the Jewish people to hear that G Jesus is coming from Galilee, he's, he's a nobody. But he's the Messiah, supposedly the new king. So here, a location of coming from Galilee, and then he's coming to Jordan. And so that's also intentional 
by Matthew. For the Jewish people to hear the word Jordan, it goes back to the Old Testament time when Joshua took the Israelites out of the desert and brought them to the promised land. And Jesus is intentionally going from the boondocks, a place that the Jewish people hate, to go to the Jordan, the river that has a significant historical importance to the Jewish people to be baptized. And there, there he meets John. And this is the first public appearance of Jesus. So there are crowds gathered at, at the Jordan to see people get baptized. Because John the Baptist has been doing this for about six months. And so he's developed a following. And, and jo- uh, John has a message of repentance. He's preaching to the people that you must repent and ask for forgiveness and get baptized. And this is something that God had commanded him to do. That's John's calling. Now, John, if you all know, is actually Jesus' relative. They're kind of cousins, distant cousins. Their mothers, Elizabeth and Mary, were pregnant at the same time. So John knows who Jesus is, but he probably didn't know him when they were children. They were probably separated. But he's definitely heard a lot about Jesus. So he knows who Jesus is and that he apparently is the Son of God. Now, I could imagine when they were growing up, the conversations that, that Elizabeth and Mary would have, because they're cousins, and at the family gatherings, um, Elizabeth would kind of say, you know, you know, my son John, he's kind of weird. I mean, he's always out in the desert by himself, and he loves to eat locusts. And, in, and so he's kind of different. And, and then Elizabeth would ask, well, Mary, what do you think about your son? How's your son doing? And Mary would go, hmm, you know, he's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so John has been hearing this all his life. He's, you know, he's like, Elizabeth, how come you can't be like, like Jesus? And so John, he's standing there at the River Jordan, and he sees his cousin coming, and he, he's trying to prevent this from happening. He says, you know, I can't baptize you. You're, you're, you're the son of God. I mean, I've been hearing this from my mom all, all my life. And so I can't baptize you. I don't want to do it. But Jesus says, come on. I'm going to paraphrase it. He says, come on, John. Just do me this one favor. Can you just baptize me for this time? Because it will fulfill all righteousness. And apparently scripture says, John consented. So he agreed. And so that is an act of service that John is doing for Jesus. Jesus is asking a favor. And so an expression of love, but also more importantly, in obedience to what God has called John to do is to baptize Jesus. So that's the first love language, acts of service. A second one, uh, and actually I'm going to go back to the significance of that baptism uh, later on in my message, but I'm going to move to quality time now as a second example of another love language. And we see this in verse 16. And uh, giving quality time to another, some of us feel love when people want to hang out with us. It's actually getting, and it's not just to be together, just to be together. It's also to love that person by giving our undivided attention, that they matter, that we really want to get to know them when we're with them. And for many, that is their love language. And the way to love them is to spend time with them, quality time, and a way to just 
intentionally focus on, listen to them, hear them out, and get to know them. And that's, that's quality time. And here, when Jesus was baptized, in verse 16, it says, immediately he went up from the water. And it seemed like as soon as he was baptized, Jesus is excited to get out of the water because he's anticipating something that's going to happen. And what happens here, it says, and behold, the heavens were open to him. Now, that Greek word for open, it's a little bit more violent than, than translated here. It says open, the heavens opened. But that word means to rip apart. The heavens are ripped apart for a reason. And the only other time that that word is used is if you re recall the scene when Jesus is crucified. There's a veil in the temple that's ripped apart. The veil was a, a, a barrier between the high priest and the holy of holies where God is represented. That that there had to be a separation because God was so holy, no human can go in the presence of God without some barrier of protection. But once Jesus was crucified, the scripture tells us that that veil was ripped, ripped apart, because no longer it is necessary to have that barrier anymore for what Jesus did on the cross. But that word is is used here, the opening of the heavens, it seemed like God couldn't wait to come into the presence of his son, that he ripped up the heavens to come and spend quality time with his son, Jesus. And so that's the second example of a love language, of having quality time with another. The third one is receiving gifts, and this is verse 16. It's Receiving, some of us, our love language is getting gifts, and to love them is to give them gifts. And it means getting something tangible, something that, that's meaningful and thoughtfully uh, given. And so it's not those white elephant gifts, it's the kind of gifts that really have a value to the person. And they don't have to be expensive, it just meant that you were thoughtful and, and, and they were meaningful for your relationship. And that's a, one way that we can appreciate others and some feel appreciated if that is their primary language. Now, hint, hint, that is my love language. So, <laughs> gifts are appreciated. Um, in verse 16, the scripture says that Jesus saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. And so, what is the gift here? The gift is the Holy Spirit. <coughs> that God sends the gift of the Holy Spirit to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. So to, you don't want to take it literally. So um, Matthew is not saying that the Holy Spirit is a dove. Right? It's a little descending like a dove. What, what Matthew is trying to describe here is that you know what a dove is, a very elegant bird, and you ever seen them fly? They kind of float in the air. And so there's just a, a word picture here of how the Holy Spirit is descending. So God in heaven sent the Holy Spirit to Jesus, and that's God's gift to his son. And in many ways also, now that Jesus has received the Holy Spirit, Jesus can then fulfill his promise later that he gives to his followers that he can give the, leave the Holy Spirit behind for our gift when he leaves to return to the Heavenly Father after he's crucified. And the Holy Spirit, as you know, as a gift, he is our counselor, he is a helper, he's a companion, 
and more importantly, God. That's the third, third example of a love language. The fourth one is touch, appropriate touch. And, and that's, for some, it's, it's appropriate embrace. It's a holding of hands. It's, it's a pat on the shoulder. And physical touch is one way of expressing love. And some of us need that. And it's a concept that's not foreign to many of us. Uh, they've done studies where infants, as soon as they're born, if they're not cuddled and hugged and embraced, they become very anxious. And, and they've even, I don't know who would do this but to, to infants, but they've done studies where they, uh, babies that have been uh, deprived of physical touch for six months, they become very anxious, nervous kind of children. And, and so the physical touch is something that humans need. And that's one way of expressing uh, love to people is through physical appropriate touch. And for some, that's your primary language, and then you need that. Um, God here does that for Jesus. And we see this in verse 16, continuing with the Holy Spirit coming down, and it says, rests on Jesus. So God touches Jesus through the Holy Spirit so that he expresses his love that way. So you can see here, I'm going through the baptism, and we're seeing God expressing love in many forms. And then the final one, the one that is probably the most memorable, is words of affirmation. And we see this in verse 17. Words that express affection, like I love you, I, I appreciate you, you are matter to me. These are words that are very important for many of us to hear. Words of appreciation. They're encouraging. They help build people up. They're not critical. They don't tear them down. They're not judgmental. They are to affirm them that they make a difference. That they, va they are valued. And words can be hurtful. But also words can be appreciative and building up of people. In verse 17, God says this from heaven. A voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And it's significant to note here that these words that God speaks from heaven. And some of you are thinking, are, is this something that Jesus only heard? I don't think so. The crowds are out there. And they're watching people getting baptized. So this isn't just some dream. This isn't some vision. This is actually physically happening. That heavens did open Holy Spirit was descending. There is a voice from heaven saying this because the word specifically says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And it's intended in a way for others to hear. It was written to be just for Jesus. He said, Jesus, you're my son. I'm pleased with you. But it's not written that way. The form that is given is it is intended for others to hear. And so... We take that as a way of interpreting this. But it's significant to note here, in, first, in Jesus' first public appearance, this is occurring and is essentially confirming and affirming Jesus as the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Chosen One, the King, that, that this happens before Jesus even does anything. Jesus hasn't done any miracles yet. And God says these words 
I am well pleased with you. And this is an important note, and God is placing this in a very strategic place, is that we can't earn God's love. We don't have to earn God's love. It's already there. Jesus hasn't done anything. He doesn't have to earn God's love. It's already a known fact that the God the Father knows Jesus and loves him. And that's unconditional. And the same case is for us. It's a lie if you believe that you need to earn God's love. It's not possible. And God knows that. That's why he loves you in spite of yourself. We can't do anything to get it. He already does love you. Now, you know, I told you that my love language is, is uh, receiving a gift. And so a lot of times we express our love language to others that way, even if it doesn't mean anything to them. And as a dad, you know, we like to give gifts to our kids. And, and I said, uh, gifts doesn't have to be expensive. They're just something that's meaningful and thoughtful. And so some of you are probably staring at this box that's been sitting here and wondering what's in it. So it's one of those things that I thought, oh, this would be really cool to give to my kids. And it's not expensive, and it teaches certain concepts. And, and so I want to show you what's in the box. And so, you know, being a person who, who wants people, my children, to, to learn the, the concept of saving money, it's a, it's a piggy bank. But it's a piggy bank that is shaped like a tooth. Now, some of you know I'm a dentist, so that's why it's kind of, oh, this is cool. This, is a, this one's a blue one because it's for a boy. I have a pink one for a girl because I have a son and a daughter. So it, it, you can drop coins in there and save money. So that's a good stewardship, you know, a discipline. But the, this, this tooth bank, or literally it is a tooth bank. It's not more than There's slots here that you can store the baby teeth when they fall out. <laughs> hey, that's cool, right? So I saved my kids' baby teeth. I know, some of you guys are kind of grossed out, right? But <laughs> for me, I thought this would be a wonderful memento to give to my kids when they turned 18. That's why these sit in my house, because <laughs> But I want to uh, bring up someone, I believe Rick is here? Is Rick here? Yeah, thanks. Uh, we're gonna sh he's going to help me share uh, a meaningful gift that, that something he thought of as an example of an expression of, of a love language as words of appreciation. So uh, Rick, why don't we welcome him? It's a, it's a bank with a tooth. Yeah, there's oh multiple teeth. I mean, you can see, right? You, you can. And they put money in it. So is that like money is the root well, of I told, all evil? Or? Well, no, 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 no. No, I'm I'm a killjoy. I told my kids there are no such things as Easter bunnies, Santa Claus, and tooth fairies. So they knew from the moment they were born. So that's I said I'll give you money, but it's this way. Okay. So Rick, uh, I brought you up here to, to share something that has 
been uh, inspiring to me. I belong to a home group, uh, a community life group, and some of us have been friends for a long time. And uh, many of us have, have raised our children, and now they're young adults. But we share stories, and, and, and we encourage each other, especially, uh, you know, life is hard. And, and I admire the guys that I'm with in my, my home group, and Rick's one of them. We've done a lot of ministry together. Uh, but I asked him to come to share something that some of you have heard, but maybe some of you haven't heard uh, yet about an example that he chose to do for his children. So my question to you is, why words of affirmation so important to you? Uh, I think that um, they're words that kind of speak to the soul and they can kind of shape who you are. And I think that certainly in times of doubt, words of affirmation can always remind you about, you know, where you've come from and, and uh, how you're supported and, and loved. So I think that's one of the most important things that words of affirmation will provide. And, and before, actually, maybe just I'm going to throw you a little curve here. Sure. Uh, something that, that we got together to do is the family camping trips during the summertime. And one of the things that we do at the campfire was something that, that that Rick suggested, and I agreed, is very important, has been very popular during our camping uh, trips, where we, we take the families of the church, and we've done it for the last three summers. But what happens at the campfire? Uh, so it, it starts as a um, dad's kids camp out, and uh, a friend of mine invited me and, and Mitchell to, to one of his camp outs, and I, and I always thought this would be great for uh, our church, because as, as Asian Americans, I don't think necessarily that we've been in an environment where dads have actually shown uh, verbal expression or even physical expression. So I thought that it would be important that we have that, that opportunity, especially for dads to do. So at the camp out that we have, uh, what we have each of the dads do is we have them share um, a thought with their, with their child there or with, with their son and their daughter about what's, what's one thing that they appreciate about, about their child, and they get a chance to share that with, with all the other men and, and with their child. So. Yeah, so that's a great way that, that's part of our, our hope is to mentor other dads to be able to say those things, because some of, some of our adult dads have never heard that from their own fathers, and we want to break that chain so that our children can hear of affirmation from their fathers. And uh, in a safe place at the campfire, we do have those holy moments. And it's kind of cool to see dads and see the kids, too, actually hear their dads say something complimentary uh, in front of others in public. So that's kind of a cool thing. So, so all you kids out there, you can invite your dads to take you to the, uh, to, to the dads get tap out. Yeah. So, yeah, we plan to do it again this summer. So that's a little heads up there. But more importantly... There's something that, that you chose to do for your own children, and, and it has to do with these birthday letters. Oh, sure. <clears throat> so the first thing is, um, this idea actually, I have to give credit to my wife, Irene, because it, it, was, it was her idea. And it started when I have two kids, uh, Lindsay and, and Mitchell. And when Lindsay turned one, um, Irene showed me that she had written this card to her and that she took this uh, Nordstrom box, and she said, uh, oh, I, I wrote this letter to, to Lindsay, and she put it in this box and said, love letters to Lindsay. So we talked a little bit about it, 
And she said, what I did was I just wrote uh, to Lindsay, you know, what I thought about her and to wish her a happy birthday uh, on her first birthday of life. But what we do is we took that box and we, um, we put the unsealed or, or the sealed letters in the box. And so I thought, oh, well, what a great idea. It was such a great idea that Irene inspired me to say, oh, I, I want to do the same thing. So what we did for each year was we, <coughs> we wrote uh, a letter uh, to each of the kids, and then we sealed it, and then we put it in a box. And so for me, I, I don't know what Irene write, writes in her letters, and, but for what I wrote in, in my letters, it was usually about um, what, I, what I appreciated about each of the kids that, that I saw when, when they were growing up, you know, a character that they were, the, a character development that, they, that I saw, you know, perseverance or loyalty or, or generosity. Um, and then I might put in my, my favorite Bible verse, and then later on I would maybe put in a picture. And the idea was uh, we would put these letters into the box, and then on their 18th birthday, uh, or actually before they went off to college, we gave them this box of letters, of these love letters. And why we decided to do it <coughs> before they went off to college is, College is a time when it's just filled with a lot of angst and a lot of uncertainty. You're trying to figure out who you are, uh, what you want to be. And we decided it'd be really important for the kids to know and that they were affirmed that they were loved, you know, well, you know, every year of their life. And as Calvin, you know, how you just said about before Jesus did anything, right, that he was, that they were well loved. And that so that the kids are just loved and appreciated every year of their life before they you know, did anything, and you know, if, whether they graduated from college or not. So that if there was ever a moment in their life where they actually had any doubt, that they could always read those letters and, and know where they came from and that they were well, and that they were well loved. So that, that's, what, that's what we did. So that's an idea for you, you, you folks out there. You, you can do this for anyone, actually. You could do it for friends. You can do this for... Uh, grandchildren, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. thank you, Rick, for sharing that. I, I'll just have one thing to say is that, um, to, to your point, uh, if there's a call to action for any of you, I know that if you are uh, you know, a, a college student or a, a new parent, I was talking to a friend of mine, and he told me that what, so as, as life comes 360, uh, when my kids ask me what is it that, that we want for, you know, for our birthday or Christmas, there, there's nothing that they can really give me that I can't afford to buy for myself, is I actually ask them to write me a letter. And uh, a friend of mine actually, um, now he asked his kids to, to write them a letter. So parents, if you want to know what you can ask your kids for, you can, you can ask them to write you a letter. And for, for the young people or, or you know, the new parents, um, consider writing. Consider writing your parents a letter. All right. Why don't we thank Rick for uh, sharing? <laughs> Obviously, uh, his example is better than my toothbank. <laughs> <laughs> so so far, I've kind of ex shared uh, through the scripture here how God loved Jesus in the five love languages, and so that's kind of my the. The first example that I wanted us to, to understand from the scripture. But I think more importantly, this passage, the baptism of Jesus is not just the example of God loving his son Jesus and an example of how we can then also love others. 
but it's also an example of where God loves us truly. That God doesn't just love Jesus, but he also loves us. And at the baptism of Jesus, it is fully demonstrated if we can see this in the scripture. And just to review again, verses 13 to 15 says this. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And John consented. So what does it mean to fulfill all righteousness? It is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And that's what John says. And, and, and if you really think about it, the first thing that's, that, that jumps out at me is that it demonstrates the obedience of Jesus. That God loves obedience. And Jesus here is demonstrating his obedience by getting baptized. And this is, this is a very simple thing to, to understand, but it fulfills prophecy. That Jesus is sinless. He is one without sin. So why does he need, get, need to be baptized? And as I told you, John the Baptist's uh, whole mission in life is a message of repentance. Repent, be baptized. Ask for forgiveness, be baptized. It's all this thing about sinfulness and, and repentance. But in some ways, that's only half the truth. The baptism that, that John is offering is also intended by God, a baptism of grace. It's about forgiveness is there, but it's through grace, undeserved grace. Love that God the Father has for his son, but also for all mankind. And so Jesus, understanding that, for one, that John to fulfill his calling, because John has no, no qualifiers. He just says to everybody, repent, ask for forgiveness, and be baptized. And Jesus understands this command. He knows this is from God the Father. And by doing this, he's actually expressing that he is not only God, but he is also man. So if he is man, he must follow the command of God the Father who says to John, tell people to repent and be baptized. And so Jesus demonstrates his obedience out of love for the Father by getting baptized. Even though he's sinless, he doesn't need to get baptized. But here he demonstrates obedience. And that's one thing that God really truly loves is that, that we obey him. And then, the, the second thing that's really important in that, by the statement of Jesus being baptized, because remember I said this is uh, Jesus' first public appearance. Baptism is a public event. I think just a couple weeks ago we had some baptisms here. It's a public statement of an internal change. And the one is mainly accepting Jesus our, as our Lord and Savior. It's transformative. It's a public um, expression of that and the reason we do it publicly and Jesus is doing it publicly among the crowd is because it is a sign of solidarity 
that Jesus is identifying himself with those who have come into the Christian faith, into the Christian community. It says, I am one of you. I am getting baptized. And through baptism, I am identifying myself with all of you. He is saying he is with us by getting baptized. And this is important because just to demonstrate this, I have this picture uh, of my kids during Easter. Do we have that? Now, if you see, those are my kids when they were young, and they were reenacting the, the crucifixion. But there, I'm showing this because it has a deep meaning of what, the, if you understand this baptism of identification that Jesus is doing, is that when God the Father looks down at the cross, because God is a holy God, and there is judgment that must be paid for our sins. But when he looks at the cross, he doesn't just see Jesus. He sees each one of us on the cross with our sins being crucified. So that judgment is served, but it's done through the sacrifice of Jesus, who is our substitute on the cross. But not only that, that what's more important is when God looks at each one of us, he doesn't see just us in our brokenness and in our imperfections. He sees his son Jesus in us when he looks at each one of us. Because the righteousness that is credited to Jesus is credited to our account on behalf of what Jesus did on the cross. Philippians 3.9 says this, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. The righteousness that Jesus fully is worthy of is given to us, credited to our accounts, if we make him our Lord and Savior. Now, recently in, in the news, um, our president is saying that this recent tax cut will be the greatest gift to the middle class. Why well, I countered that, that God has already given us the greatest gift, and that is his son, Jesus. And it's this Christmas season during Advent, when it's a time that we reflect on our relationship with God and Jesus, that we, that have called him our Lord and Savior, be grateful for what God has given to us and how he loves us. So I want to go back to the question I posed earlier. Do you believe God truly loves you? It's a simple question, but one that can be very hard to answer. And sadly, how we answer it and when we answer that question is often dependent upon the times that we pose that question. So it's not a one-time question. I ask that question all the time. It's one that we go through in our journey of life, in the ups and downs, depending on the times in our lives, when we bring that question up can influence the way that we answer and sadly, for some, when we are in the depths of life, in those valleys, when things aren't going right, when we're hurting, when we're suffering, when we're having pain, and that question comes up in our mind, God, do you really love me? It's difficult sometimes to say yes. But it's a question that, as I said, if we haven't straightened out 
then it affects how we love others and also how we perceive God. And that's the sad thing, right? A lot of times some of us, in our imperfections, are in our lives we have met with imperfect people. Especially if those of us who have had fathers who have been abusive, neglectful, broken, maybe distant, we often project our our experience with our earthly fathers to the heavenly father and that's something that that needs to be healed of and i don't have an easy answer for that and i'm not going to give you a formula to solve that but that's my hope that if for you to first to to understand if it does exist uh, i think a beginning place is to receive god's power to to heal that and we can do that through prayer, because I think in a moment we'll have prayer ministers available. And if you had relationships that have hurt you, um, and, and start with their parents and significant authority figures, if you need to pray, have prayer received for that, I encourage you to receive that uh, in a moment. But this is the thing I, I, I really want to, to emphasize, that, that even though you may not Experience, have experienced it yourself. God truly loves you. And anything to, the, to, 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 to negate that is a lie. God loves you. And if you hear anything, that's not from God. God does not judge, condescend. What Jesus did on the cross eliminated all that. God loves you. And... and and something that Pastor Andrew helped me to think about, it's this concept that the truth is the truth. And that is the truth. God loves you. And so for some of us, we can accept that. And that's where faith comes in. So sometimes we have to depend on, on, on believing that, even though circumstances don't feel like it. But that's, truth doesn't change. And with faith, we can hold on to that truth. And then for some of us, which is kind of the, 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 the uh, clincher, is that we have to be able to experience it. And for those of us, I myself have experienced truly the, the love of God in my life. In a moment when I was in despair, God came and loved me. Once you experience that, you know the answer to that question is, yes, God truly does. And for some of you, I know you haven't experienced it, and, and you're ready to give up, my encouragement is please don't. Ask for it. Pray for it. Seek after it. And then you will find it. Because that is the one most, most wonderful feelings to know, to experience physically, deep in your souls, the love of God. And once you have, then as I shared earlier, filled with the abundance of the love of God, you can then truly share that with others. And that's the good news of Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God loves you. And today, behold, a Savior has been born. Let us rejoice and worship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this time where we are able to come to reflect to struggle, to wrestle with that question, do we really love you? 
We know the truth. The truth is you do love us. And it was shown at the baptism of Jesus, the many ways that you express love and how we can use that as a model to love others. But more importantly, it is a way that you had a plan, a plan through your son Jesus, that you love us in spite of our imperfections. May we uh, long for it and desire it because we know it's there and that you truly, truly want us to receive it. So we thank you in the most precious name of Jesus. Amen.